Well, let's welcome Pastor Charles up again to bring to us Psalm 128. Brothers, get your Bible and make your way back with me to the book of Psalms. We looked last hour at Psalm 127. This hour, let's look at Psalm 128. Father, we acknowledge that we are prone to be distracted by the things of this world. We pray, Father, that you would turn our eyes toward your statutes and away from passing things of this life that do not satisfy. We pray that you would teach us to walk in your ways, teach us to fear you, teach us to trust and obey you. By the authority of the name of Christ, by the power of his blood, by the help of your Holy Spirit. This hour I pray for each of us that you would help us to lay aside all malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and evil speaking. So that as newborn infants we may crave the pure spiritual milk of your word and grow thereby having tasted of your goodness. I pray that you would guide my thoughts and guard my heart and govern my words so that everything I say would be consistent with sound doctrine. And as the seed of the word is planted and watered, we know that only you can make it grow. So we reserve for you alone the highest praise and full credit for the fruit that shall come from this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 128. A song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like Olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Let me label this psalm simply the blessed life, the blessed life. There is a sense in which every person who lives is a beneficiary of the kindness of God. It is general grace. Matthew 5, verse 45, the B part of that verse says that God makes the sun shine on the good and the evil and causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Every person is a recipient of the kindness of God that sustains life. But it is a far greater thing to be enriched by divine favor. In this regard, some 
are blessed while others are not. Deep down, every human soul desires to be blessed by God. Many do not acknowledge this reality or understand this reality or embrace this reality, but God has put eternity in our hearts. And deep down, there, there, is, a, there is a God-shaped void that cannot be filled by anything or anyone in life but God. Many feel the yearning and don't understand it and spend their lives seeking worldly things that do not satisfy. Proverbs 10, if I may repeat, says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. We throw the word blessed around a lot. What is, what does it mean to be blessed? What is the blessed life? Psalm 128 is a profound answer to that question. Note again that the inscription tells us that this is a song of a sense. It is one of the hymns the Jewish pilgrims would sing in caravans on their way to the holy city of Jerusalem for one of the Jewish feasts. The author and occasion of this particular psalm is not known. But the dominating theme of the psalm is obvious. It is a celebration of God's rich blessings on a person and then a family and then a nation. The psalm mentions blessings four times. Two different Hebrew words for blessing are used in this psalm. It would be fair to call this psalm an ode to the blessed life. A celebration of the blessed life. Notice in the text that verse 1 tells us that this blessed life is available to everyone. Everyone. But verse 4 describes specifically the man who is blessed. And I believe man there is gender specific. How do we know? Verse 3 says this man has a wife and children. Verse 6 says he has grandchildren. These references do not exclude women from the blessed life, of course. That's not what the psalmist is indicating. But the verses here do emphasize the God-given role that men play in the home and in society. God has established that the man is to be the head of the home. Don't apologize for the biblical standard. Don't apologize for the biblical standard in which the husband is the head of the home and the mother is the heart of the brothers. 
anything without a head is dead. Anything with more than one head is a monster. <laughs> God is so established in order that godly men play a central role in a family and a society being blessed. In a real sense, this psalm is saying to us, as goes the husband and the father, so goes the family and the community. Psalm 127, as we saw last hour, warns that life and family and work are in vain without God. Now Psalm 28 sings that life and family and work are blessed when you live for God. Psalm 128 is a wisdom psalm. It reads like the book of Proverbs. And that's significant because even though this psalm unapologetically describes the blessed life, it is no guarantee of health, wealth, and success in this life. There are books that I have bought over the years just for the title. Bought one such book and it is one of the key books in my library. I pull it out and look at it every now and then. It's one of the most important books to me in my library. Written by Jim Baker. Yeah, that Jim Baker. The infamous leader of the Praise the Lord ministry. Who was convicted and went to prison and came out and apparently has restarted his shenanigans. When he came out of prison, he wrote an autobiography. I bought it. It's 700 pages. I haven't read a word of it. <laughs> but it is... One of the most important books in my library, I bought it just for the title. There is a picture of him on the cover, and the title of the book simply reads, I was wrong. And in that sense, he is right. <laughs> Anyone that claims that faith in God and following Jesus Christ is some guarantee of an, a life of health, wealth, success, prosperity, and prominence is wrong. That is not what this psalmist is saying. He is not promising health, wealth, and success. The psalm is teaching godly principles. It is not giving guaranteed promises. The godly are not immune from financial difficulties, from marriage trouble, or rebellious children. The blessings of God do not cancel out the realities of a fallen world. But in a real sense, this psalm teaches that the blessings of God can overcome the realities of the fallen world we live in. I may not get to say everything I want to say from the psalm, so let me just give you the main idea up front. Let me give you the, 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 the point of the message, the sermon in a sentence. One of my best friends gives his main idea in the... Uh, beginning of his 
messages in the introduction of his messages. And he sets it up by saying, if you get this sentence, you can go to sleep for the rest of the message. I ain't that confident in my prayer. So <laughs> hang on in there. But I will give you the main idea up front. The psalm teaches simply that a godly life is a blessed life. A godly life is a blessed life. Do you want to be blessed? A godly life is a blessed life. No, 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 no. Not saying the godly life brings a blessed life. A godly life what? Is a blessed life. Psalm 128 celebrates three aspects then of this blessed life. Let's begin with personal blessings. Personal blessings. Psalm 1, which I would have preached last night if I would have made it, (laughs) says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. That's the front porch to the book of Psalms. You are blessed if you know who not to listen to. You are blessed if you know what conduct to avoid. If you are blessed if you know who not to associate with. You are blessed if you know to avoid those who scoff at the things of God. In the same spirit, Psalm 128 also begins with a benediction. In positive language, it says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The word blessed, if you find a contemporary translation, may simply render it happy. But it is more than that. I don't don't like that translation. If you're going to use that, you should... You should dress it up a little bit. This is, this is not just, this is supreme happiness. It is the supreme happiness that experiences good fortune in walk and in work. And so notice in verse one, he speaks of being blessed in your walk. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Do you notice this opening line describes the blessed person internally and externally? We should consider both. Internally, the blessed life is marked by a godly attitude. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. The world views blessings in terms of cash, Clothes, cars, castles, and creature comforts. And it views the fear of God as standing in the way of these things. But the word of God says, the way to blessing is to fear God. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I'm teaching 
In our midday Bible study on Wednesdays, I'm teaching through the attributes of God. We just, uh, this past week, studied the wrath of God. One of the practical conclusions from this is that you should fear God. And I admit it, there was a time earlier in my ministry where I would, I would dress that term up to speak of awe and reverence and humility before God. I just, I'm just at a place where now I accept that the fear of God is just that. The fear of God is the fear of God. If you know who God is, there should be things you are afraid to say, things you are afraid to do, places you are afraid to go. No, this is not slavish fear. It is spiritual fear that combines awe and trust and joy. It is the mingling of love and respect. My father was the most kind and generous and playful man I've ever met. And I feared him. I remember when I was in high school, there was a citywide Los Angeles Unified School District teacher strike. And I remember for the day, the day before the strike started, I came home and told him, I said, Dad, there'll be no teachers in any of the classes tomorrow. And basically no one's going to school. So can I stay home? No, no one is going. My dad said, I know one person who will be in class. I think my school, L.A. high school, had like 3,000 students. It was like less than 20 people that showed up the next day. Guess who was one of them? (laughs) Just sitting there. When I look back on it, if I had not shown up, I, I don't think he would have ever known. But I would have known. And I didn't want to dishonor him by my rebellion. I'm, I'm sad to report, brothers, that I'm not that consistent as I should be in honoring my heavenly father. But if we respect and love earthly fathers in a greater, deeper, higher way, we should fear God. We should worship him as creator, ruler, sustainer, redeemer, and judge. The fear of God is the heart of the blessed life. It is a sense in which we need go no further. No no matter what the world calls success or celebrity or satisfaction, a life is not blessed if that life is not lived before God in fear of him. Psalm 34 verses 8 through 10 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So a blessed life is 
marked by godly attitude. It is also marked by godly actions. What does it mean to fear God in practical terms? Verse one answers, it is to walk in his ways. The fear of the Lord is the cause. Walking in his ways is the effect. The ways of God represents the will of God revealed in the word of God. There are two ways to live. God's way or man's way. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is the way of death. The way of man is a dead end. The way of sin is a dead end. The way of the world is a dead end. God's way is the best way. And the psalmist bids us to walk in his ways. This is how Psalm 119 begins. Psalm 119 is an ode to the sufficiency of God's word. And it begins by declaring, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. This word walk, what a, what a great word to describe the godly life. Walk denotes direction, constancy, and progress. Direction, constancy, and progress. Proverbs 6, 18 says, God hates feet that run swift to mischief. Feet that make haste to do evil. It is iniquity within us. That leads our feet to sin, our minds to error, and our souls to hell. The blood and righteousness of Christ produces a change of heart that results in a change of ways. May the Lord help us. That we repent of any walk that's not according to his way. It might have seemed easier for me to drive here rather than flying to Atlanta, but I get lost real easy. I can get lost with Siri giving me directions. <laughs> but I'm so glad that inevitably when I, I, I've lived in the city I live in for 14 years and I still get lost with Siri giving me directions. But I'm glad that when I when I make a wrong turn, Siri doesn't say, you idiot. <laughs> Why didn't you just do what I said? You know what Siri says? Rerouting. <laughs> and just gives me directions to make a U-turn and get back to the right path. In a real sense, this is what repentance is. It is to acknowledge that God's way is right and my way is wrong. And it is to make a U-turn in my life and to stop going my way and turn from my sin and follow God's way.
To do so is to be blessed in your walk. But also this picture of personal blessings shows us a man who is not only blessed in his walk, but is blessed in his work. Verse one is the blessed life declared. Verse two is the blessed life described. We see in verse two that God blesses life and labor. Verse two says you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Here is a threefold summary of the blessed life. Industry, prosperity, and security. Industry, you shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. Prosperity, you shall be blessed. Security, and it shall go well with you. If I may remind us from last hour, God does not bless slothfulness. He blesses Labor, not laziness. And for the record, verse two assumes that that labor is legal and legitimate. <laughs> Genesis three seventeen and 18 says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles they shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Let's be clear. Those verses are not saying that work is cursed. The curse does not, is not against work itself. The curse makes work painful, tedious, and unfruitful. To care for the garden, to work the field was the responsibility of Adam before he had fallen into sin. His sin made work painful, tedious, and unfruitful. But here we see that the God who established the curse suspends the curse for those who bless, he blesses. Psalm 127, we saw verse 2 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to work, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now we see that blessed people do not work in vain. Look at verse two. You shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. That full statement describes the full blessing. You, you can labor and not eat the fruit. The harvest may fail. Pestilence may devour the crop. Thieves may break in and steal. But God can ensure that you eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. If nothing is to be taken from this, maybe it is at least this. Don't take grace for granted, brothers. Don't take credit for your career, your income, your promotion. Do you know that you could be educated, excellent, and experienced, and unemployed? Whatever it is that we have, it is not because we have worked so hard or because we're so smart or we have such great skill. 
It all depends on God. Thought I'd have a witness there. I brought my own just in case. Psalm 37 verse 25. David says, I have been young, but now I am old. And over the course of the passing of the years, I have seen many things. He said, but let me testify to what I have not seen. I have not seen the righteous forsaken by the Lord or his children begging for bread. So he begins with personal blessings and then the text proceeds to describe family blessings. Verse 2 describes the blessed life at work. Verse 3 describes the blessed life at home. And again, as in the previous psalm, we see that in the ancient world, one's Work life and one's home life were not separated from each other. And here again, we see the difference between how the world and how the Bible understands what it means to be blessed. The world blesses men who succeed at work and fail at home. The high rate of fatherlessness, divorce, and abortion is the result of a false value system that maximizes career and minimizes family. But but notice how the psalm here groups them all together. It says the blessed life is characterized by personal career and domestic bliss. Notice the picture of a blessed family. Verse 3 pictures the blessed family in colorful images. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. With graphic language, he just describes a fruitful wife and growing children. A fruitful wife. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Verse 3 here describes the favor of a good wife. In fact, Martin Luther called this psalm a marriage psalm. God blesses a man, says the psalm, with a wife who is like a fruitful vine. Many interpreters read this as an image of fertility. But that's the secondary point. The wife is like a vine. Fruitful describes what kind of vine she is. I believe the image describes the wife's graceful beauty. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, says, Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and hold its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breast like apples and your mouth like the best wine. I think that poetic language is what is reflected here. He is celebrating the graceful beauty of a faithful wife. A fruitful vine is more than childbearing. It is all the Proverb 31 ways a wife blesses her husband. She is faithful, not just fruitful. 
Notice she is a fruitful vine within your house, literally in the inner chambers of your house. It affirms the traditional family where the husband works the field and the wife works the home. And it assumes that even if she works outside the home, a godly wife's heart is at home. She is not like the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7. Who the Bible says her feet do not stay at home. The poetic language is meant to describe a godly woman who embraces the dignity of marriage and motherhood with contentment. But not only is he blessed with a fruitful wife, he's blessed with growing children. We saw in Psalm 127 verse 4 describes the blessing of children in military terms. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior or the children of one's youth. Now Psalm 128 verse 3 describes the blessing of children in agricultural terms. Your children would be like olive shoots around your table. Olive shoots around your table. Olive shoots grow slowly. They must be carefully cultivated. Wild shoots must be disciplined. And they remain fruitful for many years. Look at the text. Verse 2 describes God's blessing on your table. You should eat the fruit of your labor. Well, you see that verse 3 describes God's blessing around your table. There's a subtle but important principle suggested here. It reminds us, brothers, that marriage should come before sex and marriage should come before children. The blessing of children should be enjoyed around your table, not multiple tables. You get it? Do not live an undisciplined life, a sinful life, and set yourself up to be responsible for multiple tables. Live so that the fruit of your labor lands on one table and the olive shoots grow up around one table. Verse 2 celebrates field harvest, but verse 3 celebrates family harvest. Listen what, what the progression of the text is saying. Going home to a godly family is better than coming home with a fruitful harvest. Coming home to a godly family is better than coming home with a fruitful harvest. And for the record, before we leave this verse, note that vines and olives were not staples. They were signs of abundance. He is saying, If you have a godly wife and good children, you are richly blessed. May the Lord help us to view 
success and blessedness from that perspective, not not the folly of the world. Blessing is not defined by what kind of car you drive or what neighborhood you live in. Or how many degrees you have or how much money you make or the type of work you do. If you have a godly wife and good children, he says you are richly blessed. And so there is the picture of a blessed family. And then there is a the power of a blessed family in verse four. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so this this fourth verse just ends the stanza by repeating and reaffirming verse one. But this is no empty repetition. There's nothing superfluous in scripture. All of it is breathed out by God. What you have here is an inclusio that connects verses one through four as one unit of thought. Or it may be an introductory statement that prepares us for the message of verses five and six. Either way, the verse is emphatic. It is emphatic that the way to blessing is to fear the Lord. It is also emphatic that blessings come from God alone. May I repeat Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Do not take credit for the success of your job. Do not take credit for the happiness of your marriage. Do not take credit for the accomplishments of your children. God deserves the highest praise and full credit for every good thing we have in life. There are personal blessings here, family blessings here, and then societal blessings, if you will. We said last hour that unless you have a special calling, it is not wise for a man to live and work for himself without establishing a family through marriage and children. Genesis 2.18 and it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. But in the close of this psalm, I think we see another truth. It is not good for a man to isolate himself to his nuclear family. The progression of the text seems to, to, to say that personal blessings lead to family blessings that lead to societal blessings. Brothers, you do not need me to tell you our society is in trouble. Our society is in trouble. The solution is not government oversight. The solution is not free education. The solution is not any economic stimulus. The solution is not cultural revolution. The solution is not social justice. Then what is the solution, HB? According to Psalm 128, The solution is this, godly men leading godly families can change the world. Godly men leading godly families can change the world. Consider how this 
passage describes societal blessings. Prosperity. The Lord bless you from Zion. Zion is the heavenly sanctuary where God sits enthroned in glory. It is represented by the temple in Jerusalem. And the pilgrims who sung this song of ascent did not live in Jerusalem. They traveled to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Listen to the psalmist. Wherever they live, the Lord can bless you from Zion. Wherever you find yourself, God is still on the throne. This is the sovereign grace of God. You don't have to be in a particular place for God to bless you. The Lord can bless you from Zion. And verse 5 says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. The key word for you to note here is, is, is this, see. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. See it is a wish, a promise, and a command at the same time. And this prayer is not primarily about the prosperity of Jerusalem. It is that you live to be a beneficiary of it. That you live to see it. Notice again how the blessing of a person is tied to the blessing of a city. Jerusalem was the religious and political capital of Jewish life. He says here that a godly man does not just think about himself and his family, even though he thinks primarily of them. He cares about the spiritual and social prosperity of the city that God has placed him in. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7, instructs the Babylonian captives to seek the welfare of the city. Have you ever thought about that? Don't tear it down because of injustice. Pray for the welfare of the city. And if, if God's people should seek the good of Babylon, how much more should we seek the good of Jerusalem, he says here? He's pushing our vision outward to having a godly concern that we walk right, that we lead our families in a godly way, and that we are a blessing to the society that we live in that is in desperate need for the saints of Christ to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Not only do we see here prosperity, but longevity. May you see, verse 6, your children's children. It's great to live to see your children. It's greater to live to see your children's children. Somebody said that if I knew having grandchildren would be this fun, I'd had them first. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs 17, 6 says it this way. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And the glory of children is their father. Verse 5 is about the blessing of God all the days of your life. But verse 6 is about 
the blessings of God beyond the days of your life. The godly man, he is saying, lives to have a fruitful legacy, not a fancy lifestyle. A godly man lives to have a fruitful legacy, not a fancy lifestyle. Proverbs 13, 22 says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. At the end of verse six. Personal and family blessings are tied to the blessings of society. Peace be upon Israel. This final word is no afterthought. Notice the progression. We should long for the blessing of the city we live in, Jerusalem. We should long for the blessing of the nation we live in, Israel. We should pray for peace. And here in the world of the text, we define peace as the absence of conflict. That's not how the ancients understood Peace in the world of the Bible. Peace is more than the absence of conflict. It's the presence of well-being, prosperity, and justice for all people. It was the highest blessing. (laughs) When you met another brother, greeted another brother in the morning, and they said, peace be to you, that didn't mean, I hope you don't get in any fights today. (laughs) It was a way of saying All the best. Peace be upon Israel. You should care for the nation, he says, not just your tribe. Galatians 6, 16 says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That's how Paul describes the church there. A healthy nation starts with healthy churches. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. All of this societal blessing, what does it just look like? At the least, it looks like Galatians 6 verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so in terms of societal blessings, we see prosperity, longevity, and eternality. Eternality. I raise that closing idea from the progression of the text. The psalm begins with your generation, it moves to your children's generation, and it ends with your grandchildren's generation. It bids us to look beyond this life to the life to come. Do you notice this? <laughs> this, this psalm is describing a blessed life, but as it proceeds, it's getting us closer and closer to us checking out of here. That is the inevitable reality that all of us will face if the Lord Jesus tarries his coming. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed 
for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Life does not end in death. Life continues in eternity. Brothers, if you want to understand the economy of scripture, I can, I can give you the economy of scripture in one succinct statement. The value system of scripture is simply this. What lasts the longest is worth the most. That's the economy of scripture. You want to know what matters with God? What matters in the spiritual factors of life? What lasts the longest is worth the most. That's why Matthew 6 19 and 20 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Do not commit your life to things that do not last. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. Life is short. Death is coming for all of us. And every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. And there are only two options. Matthew 25 verse 46 describes them two ways. Eternal life and eternal punishment. And eternal punishment is as long as eternal life. Every person will spend eternity somewhere. Your eternal destiny is determined by what you do with Jesus Christ. God created us that we would glorify him and enjoy him forever. But all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. There is no good thing in us to commend to God. All of our righteous deeds are as a polluted garment before God. We are on, left to ourselves, a collision course with righteous wrath, holy justice, and eternal punishment. But God. Send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He lived a righteous life. He died at the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose from the dead to give us new life. And the one who turns from his sin and trusts in Christ is described in wonderful ways at the beginning of Ephesians 1. He is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you have Jesus, you get it all. Run to the cross. Run to the cross. In Christ alone, there is hope that transcends life, death, and the grave. That's my answer to the what if and what about questions that have come to your mind as you hear me read through Psalms 127 and Psalms 128. There are all kinds of questions these psalms raise. You may not experience all that this psalm describes in this life. And and if you do, you'll find it it may not last. 
The Psalms 16 verse 11 says, you make known to me the ways of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I read about a Mr. Yates who owned a large property in Texas. Great Depression hit. And he was not able to keep up with his payments. He received a notice of foreclosure. If he was not able to pay in the coming month. And not long after receiving that notice, there was a knock at the door. The representative of an oil company asked if they could drill for oil on Yates' property. He's about to lose it anyway, so what was there to lose? He gave them permission, signed contracts. They immediately struck oil. Barrels and barrels and barrels. And overnight, desperate Yates became a multimillionaire. Question When did he become a millionaire? When he bought the land or when they struck oil? He had that wealth in the ground the whole time. He just didn't know it. If you are in Christ. If you have run to the cross and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I declare to you, brother, no matter what the circumstances of life may seem, you are already blessed. May not seem that way, may not look that way, may not feel that way. But if you are in Christ, underneath the soil, there are great riches. Start digging. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our pathway. Thank you for all that we have been confronted with, all that we have been encouraged by, all that we have been directed by from the wisdom of your word. Now, my prayer for each of us is that as we have looked into the perfect law of liberty, help us to persevere. Not being forgetful hearers, but doers of the work that we may be blessed in all our ways. I'm praying from the men who are here under your word in fellowship together. By the name of Christ, I pray that you would start a revival in our communities and in our cities that start with us walking in the fear of you, prioritizing 
the godly family life that you have called us to. And letting our light shine before men in our community. That they may see our good works and glorify you in heaven. In Jesus name. Amen.